0: Yeah, is this Stefan Molyneux? I
1: think this is. No, this is uh, his hand puppet. Uh, Stefan Molyneux is currently undergoing his usual head waxing, but uh, his hand puppet is, is available to talk.
0: Oh, cool. Well, Stefan, we had some... Uh, thank you so much for calling in, by the way. Uh, you know We've been talking about you a couple of times tonight because what we're dealing with uh, at this exact moment... Now, I, I will leave it to you by all means. Whatever you want to talk about, we'll talk about. But what we're on about right now is, uh, is moral dilemmas, is the Sophie's choices of the world, and how do they apply to the non-aggression principle? Do you have an opinion on that?
1: Yes. Um, so, you know, there's the classic one, which is um, the, the, the guy's wife is sick, and there's a, drug, a druggist, like a pharmacist, who's got the medicine to save the wife, but he won't sell the medicine to the man because he wants $10,000 and the man doesn't have $10,000 for the pill that will save his wife. Is the man justified in going in and stealing the pill? To save his wife is money more important than human life itself. And I mean, these are a dime a dozen, Like, There's a streetcar hurtling down the tracks and if you throw the switch, it goes down one track and kills 10 old people and if you go down the other track, it, it kills you know, four young people, a kitten uh, and a pregnant woman and a Klingon. I don't know. I just like to throw a few things in just to spice it up a little. And right, um, right. these are all nonsense. And what, what they're designed to do is to paralyze you because none of this crap ever happens in your life. Like I, 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 I've written, uh, I didn't get my driver's license until I was 32, God forsaken years old. I rode buses, streetcars, subways the whole time. I never once saw a streetcar hurtling down the tracks and I was given the only switch that could save or damn entire collections of people. And so this is all nonsense. Uh, People who make medicines want to make sure that they get into the hands of people. Nobody's going to charge $10,000 for one pill. Uh, you know, and and let's say that they do. Okay, well, you just you buy it on on a loan, or you get friends to help in, or you you offer to to clean the guy's uh, car for the next twenty years. You know, whatever you can find some way to make it happen. But they give you these artificial scenarios where it's like, well, the guy won't sell you to it, so do you steal it? It's like, well, why are those the only, why are those the only two options? Uh, why can't you know? Also, right? I
0: actually
1: yeah. no. Go ahead.
0: I was going to say I I had a conversation with a buddy of mine who's. Uh, Who's a liberal, but he's interested in libertarianism, and, and he said that he picked up a, quote-unquote, libertarian magazine this week, and there were a bunch of moral dilemma-type questions in this libertarian magazine. And, and the questions he was presenting to me, I was saying, okay, so I've got to be transported back to 1952. Nobody has any sort of communication with one another, and every person I deal with is a psychopath. And that's the dilemma that you're giving me, and that's and I, I tend to agree with you. These are the situations that they tried to give us that uh, that somehow discredits anarchism or libertarianism or, or our philosophy. You just have to pile on uh, absurdity on absurdity to make this thing go away.
1: Yeah, and you wouldn't you wouldn't treat doctors that way. Like if you were training a doctor, you wouldn't say. Okay, so a guy comes in to the ER, he has a heart attack, a stroke, uh, one of his eyes is exploded, and there's a boa constrictor attacking his arm, and a, a, one of alien egg is coming out of his chest at the same time. Quick, what do you do? And you're like, well, I don't know. You see, medicine doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, this is ridiculous <laughs> stuff. I mean, just don't deal with this stuff in, in real life. So it's just designed to paralyze you. You know, the moral courage that we need as human beings is available to us any moment of the day that we're in conversation with people to point out the violence of statism, to point out the inhumanity of the welfare state, to point out the imperialism of the warfare state, and to stand true and hold fast to the non-aggression principle and respect for property rights. We can do that if we want, every waking moment of every day, and I know sometimes it feels like we do, but that's the stuff that morality can help us to do. All of this other stuff is just imaginary, ridiculous nonsense. I mean, it literally is trying to figure out how the spleen of a Klingon works. I mean, it's all just made-up nonsense. Uh, And so it's just designed to get you focusing on stuff you can't change and will never happen, rather than give you the moral courage to actually make a productive and positive change in the world you live in.
0: So Stefan, I'm I'm deep in the middle of finals week in a political science major. And so I, I have to ask you while I've got you on here. I just wrote a uh, a kind of a long uh, essay question and and the the question was on my on my yeah, but the question was is is democracy good or bad? Uh what's your stance on that? And what what do you see the future going? Or how do you see the future coming about? And you you got to back up all your answers with all the philosophers throughout all, you know, all of time, going back to Socrates? <laughs> you're assuming that I won't, <laughs> and <so> my, right? <laughs> and so, you guys can I, I take I a nap. I that you're a fan of Socrates. And, yeah. and I've, seen you, I've, seen, I've seen you online uh, reading The Trial of Socrates, which, uh, you know, that was one of the big influences. In fact, the way I got into Stefan Molyneux was through Socrates, I think. No, actually, that's not true. It was through atheism. That's where I got to Stefan Molyneux.
2: I got through Stefan Molyneux through through Ben Farmer. And Stefan, I will say that Ben Farmer has coined the phrase that Stefan Molyneux is the modern day Socrates. So, well, that's, back that's your, very kind.
1: Ben, uh, yeah, Ben is often the, so, so, the so. gateway drug to me. So that's that's very nice. <laughs> and and of course, I am. Okay. Uh, I do occasionally take the back door to Socrates, as I guess a lot of his students did at the time. So. Uh, I really appreciate those uh, those kind words. But see, d- democracy, good or bad, it's it's a very prejudicial question because democracy is simply one way of organizing violence. So it's like saying, is a mob composed of red-haired people that's currently stringing up some horrible, you know, some, some poor minority? It, you know, is the mob of red-haired people really bad? It's like, well, what do red-haired people have to do with anything? It's the mob that's the problem. What does democracy have to do with anything? It's violence that the pro- is is the problem. It's like saying, well, let's say we, you know, we have a gang that only rapes Chinese women. Is that bad? It's like <laughs> the rape part. Yes, the Chinese women is not particularly relevant. Obviously, it's not good for the Chinese women, but the rape part is the problem. And democracy is just one way of organizing violence in society, or disorganizing society through violence. It's mob rule. It's gang rule. It's the rule of the brute and indoctrinated blind majority. And it relies upon, like all status systems, it relies upon the initiation of force, the selling off of children, the indoctrination of the young, uh, the general falsification and hollowing out of philosophy through the endless lies of culture and, and superstition and patriotism and nationalism, all this kind of nonsense. It requires the recasting of people in blue uh, from criminals to heroes, of people in green from criminals to heroes. And all of this moral falseness uh, completely hollows out and excavates any real, true, deep and virtuous moral instinct the species possesses. So democracy is one form of organizing it. It's just under the umbrella of violence is wrong. The initiation of force is wrong, whether uh, whether it's a fist to the face or a ballot in the box.
0: So can I ask you a loaded question then in that regard? And and that is, I'm going to tell you what my response to that question was, and then um, you've already filled in your response. But tell me how wrong or right I was in this. And the way I saw the future in in this final question was that um, uh, uh, technology and innovation is going to make government seem more and more irrelevant as we go along. And eventually, hopefully, and this is the only peaceful way I see to the end of government, is that we just kind of start ignoring it eventually, that the society just goes, eh, we've kind of solved that on our own with innovation, technology, and uh, and eventually government will just, government, democracies always implode, and eventually this government will implode, but if we can make society to where we don't even feel it, well, that's the next evolu- evolution of, of human society. I guess my question is: Am I going to get an A or an F on that?
1: <laughs> I, I think that's. I think that's a. That's a good argument. I think that's a good argument. Uh, the, the problem, of course, is that the technology that liberates us from government also allows government to control, monitor, uh, tax, regulate us to the nth degree. So technology is a real double-edged sword when it comes to the state. It gives us the opportunity to have these conversations. It gives me the opportunity to have, like, 50 million shows downloaded about philosophy. But it also gives the government the power to monitor and control us enormously. So, it's a real race. Now, are we actually on the radio, or can I use a strong word?
0: Yeah, You do your thing. Just yeah, It's uncensored. Say whatever the fuck you want. Uncensored.
1: Okay. So, the problem, if we really want to free ourselves from the government, we have to become... Um, much less assholes there'll be far fewer assholes in the world than there are right now because you understand like social programs are primarily for people that no one likes right because if let's say that you right you spend your life in a community let's say it's a church or whatever I'm an atheist but let's say it's a church and you spend your life in that community and you do really nice, good things for people. You know, when, when people's pets die, you, you come over with, uh, you know, um, a caramel custard pie and a shovel. You, you help them. Uh, you, you know, you, you, you babysit people's kids. You, you help them out when they are in trouble and all this kind of stuff. So then if you get old and you don't have a lot of money, people are going to help you back. You know, recipro- reciprocal altruism is very powerful I mean, it's certainly how my show works, so I can tell you from first-hand experience, it's very powerful. And so, the social programs are for people that no one likes. They're for people who got old and didn't save any money and so weren't responsible. They didn't do nice things for their community, so their community doesn't want to help them out. Maybe they alienated their kids uh, because, you know, if, if, you, if you're nice to your kids, they're going to want to take care of you when you get old. If you don't have any kids, then you don't. You should save the money you would have otherwise spent on kids. If you're good to your community, your community will help you back. So the people who are on welfare, the people who are on old age pensions and so on, for the most part, uh, these are people who've not contributed as much to their community, and therefore they have a desperate insecurity in their old age. But if we're nicer people as a whole, and we're more communally involved as a whole, we won't need these social programs. But that means getting off our couch and getting to know our neighbours, and that's seems to be quite a struggle for a lot of people.
0: But isn't part of isn't part of creating I'm sorry, it isn't part of creating a good society uh, the ability for the free market to take care of these people. So we're not against the uh, uh this the social safety net per se, we're against the forced social safety net. So it shouldn't the free market be able to pick up on these ideas and w- and shouldn't if, I keep saying should, and of course, of course you know that that's ridiculous, but if, if a government decides that, hey, our number one goal is to make ourselves redundant, couldn't we see a <laughs> slow, gradual um, throwing off of government by government agencies? Um, and there, I guess that's my question. Is a government capable... Of creating this society,
1: no, 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 no. I mean, look. Uh, so, c- violent crime in the United States has dropped. I think about forty percent over the past ten years, and so we should have that's far less right. need, right? We we should have far less need of of police, and so of course, all that's happened is they've invented other crazy, ridiculous wars, you know, like hunting terrorists in Wichita and stuff like that, and locking up even more people for non-violent, carrying the wrong piece of vegetation nonsense crimes. And so the governments will not, nobody votes to put themselves out of a job. Governments do not vote to shrink their own budgets. Uh, Everything that is left unspent is usually reduced from the next year's budget. So everybody has a massive incentive to continue to grow the government.
0: Sure, but let me ask you this, this question. If, if the liberty movement were to decide that our goal is to infiltrate government with that being our number one priority, which is to, make, uh, to diminish government uh, where it has become redundant and allow innovation and technology to take over where it can, if uh, should that be a goal of the liberty movement? Is that well, a reasonable? A, that's goal? a testable,
1: but that's a testable hypothesis, right? If you have a theory that you can infiltrate a criminal gang and get it to turn to virtue or curtail its criminal activities, you you don't want to start with the very biggest criminal gang of all, right? You don't want to start with the federal government or the local government. What you want to do is start with some local, just- yeah, yes, you start with some local crime gang. You know, some local car thief gang, you, you join that car thief gang and you get them to start cleaning cars or washing cars or detailing cars rather than stealing them or at least get them to cut their uh, their, their car thefts in half or, or whatever it is. You know, you, you join some break and enter gang and you get them to, um, to redecorate uh, and to put up Christmas ornaments instead of stealing uh, people's uh, iPads and computers or whatever they steal. And and if you can do that, if you can join a criminal gang and turn it towards some virtuous or at least some less criminal activity, well, that's great. You, you've proved that theory. And then you can start with the mafia and you can get bigger and bigger. And eventually you can work your way up to the government. But of course, we all know that you can't join a car thief gang and get them to start cleaning cars rather than stealing them. So expecting it to be any different with the government, I think, is a fantasy.
0: Right. So, so you, like me, Stefan, are an empiricist, and, and we, we just kind of need some evidence to suggest that, that would be the case. Is, is, is joining the government not one of the tools that we have available to us, though? And this is something that I argue with Caleb about. You know, I'm an, I'm an, I'm an anarchist. Stefan, I've met you before. We've talked about this. Caleb is, is in the same boat. But, but Caleb is more, on the long, more along the lines of, you know, I've just rejected government. government. I'm not doing it. I'm not going in. But the way I see it is I have three tools available to me to change society. One is politics. Uh, number two is uh, activism. And number three is violent revolution. And I'll never take on number three. So I've got, I've got politics and, and activism. And I, I, I feel like I'm justified in going after politics. Uh, but I'd like to hear your take on it.
1: Why are those the only three?
0: Well, are there others? I'm, I'm certainly interested in the others.
1: Sure, there is. There's a much more important one, in my opinion, that you can actually do something about, and which will directly, and measurably reduce the amount of violence in the world, and which will build, uh, according to science and empirical evidence, is the surest and most certain way to build a peaceful society. And there's nothing to do with Are you going to tell me to start
0: of loads of kids? Are you going to start telling me to have loads of kids? Is that what you're about to tell me?
1: No, unless they do something with the allocation of wombs in Texas, I would not suggest that you have loads of children or even try, uh, because I'm sure that uh, no matter how big your beer gut may be getting, they're not going to have enough room in there, what with all the manly parts. Uh, So, not you in particular, no. (laughs) No, you don't have to have any kids. You don't have to have any kids to do this. Okay, okay, go ahead. Well, uh, of course, well, you probably know people who have children. Uh, you know people who want to have children. You know people who have, uh, you know, all the naughty bits necessary to make children. And so what you do is you spend time, effort, and energy uh, convincing them not to hit their children and not to aggress okay, against yeah. their children, not to raise their voices against their children, not to threaten their children, not to punish their children. And if it's any feasible possibility for sure as hell not to send their children into what we euphemistically call public schools, but we're in fact brain mincing, <laughs> sitting elephant on the frontal lobes of your poor children, okay. uh, drug camps for endless indoctrination.
0: So I do have a bone to pick with you on this, on this. and <laughs> the, only, the only reason I'm brave enough to mention it is because I I have met you and, and you are one of my, you're probably my main hero at this point, but... Uh, So uh, there's been a lot of infighting in the Liberty Movement since the election is over. We're no longer united. So we've got this faction against this faction. (laughs) Sorry, we were united before the
1: election. election. Did I miss something? But sorry, go on.
0: (laughs) No, 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 no. No, No, you have nothing to do with this other than uh, I think it's great. I think it reminds me of the rap battles that went on in the early 90s that was kind of the golden era of hip-hop. And it's also kind of uh, reminiscent of... uh, of wrestle of of wrestle strategy, you know, you know, WrestleMania, WWE, WWE, you know, those guys, they, so I have suggested that we all get into rap battles with one another. And I was so ambitious as to say that I would be the heel
2: Dude, ben wants to take on you. To,
0: only in an entertainment sense, <laughs> to be the heel to the Stefan Molyneux face <laughs> of the Liberty Movement.
1: I think that's fantastic. No, I, I will challenged. rap battle you any time. I think that would just be hilarious. I think that would be too much fun for words. Now, when it comes to rap, I just—I really wanted to, to be clear. When it comes to rap, I, I was think of rap videos. Uh, I'm not the big beefy guy up front. I tend to be the lady in tassels. Uh, shaking her thing and perhaps juicily washing a car in the background. So our outfits may be a little bit different, but our commitment, I'm sure, will be equal.
0: Right, well, mine would be shoulder pads with spikes on them. <laughs> and uh, that, was, that was kind of the point. But I, then I, then I was challenged with someone said, well, what would you attack him on? And it took me an entire day. And I
2: finally came up with something. You came up with it on the fly. I challenged you on the radio. What in the world could you possibly challenge Stefan Molyneux about? Right. It? What, you came up with it on the what fly. What could you
0: possibly challenge Stefan Molyneux about? And here's the only thing I could come up with. And it, Okay. Why do you take raising children advice from a dude whose children are less than five years old? What do you, Maybe that child will end up being terrible someday you have no idea dr spock back in the dr spock that was the thing that i cited was dr spock back in the day was the child rearing dude and he had a couple of kids that committed suicide so so uh, now i'm not saying i think you're wrong (laughs) stefan but if i'm if i'm gonna play heel to stefan molyneux's face that would be the angle i would take and so how how's your daughter doing? Really is, is my real question. As I mean, and I'm being genuine. How's your daughter doing?
1: Well, she's fantastic. I mean, she is an unbel- unbelievable delight. Uh, she is uh, she's not yet four, and you know she's reading a couple of words. She can count to over a hundred. Uh, she is a fantastic debater. She's very strong willed. She's incredibly energetic, absolutely nonstop. She's a great traveler. We've now taken her to a wide variety of places. Uh, She's a great negotiator. um, And uh, she's just, I mean, I keep forgetting how small she is. Like we have some (laughs) seemingly quite adult conversations. Um, Third party is uh, everybody feels that she's also delightful as well. Uh, We were at a a fair the other day she was doing some crafts and the lady actually said that is the most polite child i've ever seen i don't care how old she is that's the most polite child she says please and thank you for everything not because we demand or insist upon it but just because that's how how she's been raised um she's uh, she's very uh, caring of animals she's she's you know we go to pet store she holds all the animals all the uh, all the pet store um, owners and staff say she's just fantastic, incredibly gentle with them. And uh, she's, you know, she's still working on the sharing thing. I mean, she's three and all that. So she's great. Now, of course, why should you listen to the parenting advice from someone whose kids are not yet five? Because the first five years are actually the most important, right? Uh, that, that's really the my, my job as a parent. Now she's she's almost four. My job as a parent is probably 80 percent done. Uh, now it's just a matter of minor course corrections uh, if if things come up as as we go forward. So, uh, but but you should take advice from me not because sorry. Let me just finish. You 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 should take advice from me on parenting not because of how my daughter turns out, uh, but because it is in conformity with the principles that we all espouse. Right? Spanking is clearly a violation of the non-aggression principle. It's not a matter of self-defense, and so spanking. Is, is clearly a violation of the non-aggression principle and that's why we shouldn't do it. Not because, well, in the long run, whatever, your kids may be happy. I mean, statistically, they will be, but it just it violates our principles.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly the answer I was looking for. I mean, it's, it's you're a huge person hitting a tiny person. How can you possibly think that that's okay? And I've seen things pop up on Facebook this week. This week, I saw a meme pop up on Facebook saying, I pray that I don't live in a world where people don't spank their children. Because <laughs> this non spanking leads to, and it was like a picture of a gang, leads to this gang membership, is what the implication was. And I just, I've been responding to all of them saying, You mean the world that we live in currently, where. Children get hit all the time, and the world is terrible? Is that the world you're talking about? Because, like you said, statistically, the kids who don't get hit don't want to hit. They don't want to hit. I was spanked a, a, a little bit while I was a child. But I was also taught, hey, you stick up for the underdog. Uh, you, you know, if somebody is being a bully, you fight the bully. And I was I guess lucky enough to be an athletic kid as I was growing up and I was I was a nerd but I was also on the football team and I was the president of the choir. It was just a weird dichotomy of uh I am willing to stick up for the okay, Caleb oh hold your hand up. You you're the
1: are you getting like are you getting residuals from Glee? I mean, it sounds almost exactly like the, the inspiration for the TV show. Uh, so I, I hope that you're getting some good some good residuals from that.
0: Show. Yeah, I was totally in the uh, in the vocal in in that kind of a choir too. I was, I was <laughs> and let me tell you, it was a badass name. We were called Black Magic, but yeah, it was it was the show choir. I was in the show choir. Absolutely, but you know what? That's where the girls were.
2: Well, I hear that Glee <laughs> is, a, as a, is a TV show, though I haven't watched TV in well over six months. But to on back to what you, you you were saying about your your not your daughter getting compliments in the pet store and or, and the, a, as a father of four, I I get those certain those same kind of compliments. And of all the compliments I've ever got in the world, it's um, Caleb, your daughter is the sweetest thing. Uh, your kids are so well behaved. They've got such good manners. They they're so polite, they're so kind with the children, and that is the greatest compliment I've ever had. I admittedly have and long ago spanked my children, and I have since gotten down on my knees and asked for the forgiveness and told them why I was doing so uh, on the Reformation that I've come to on realizing that just because my dad did it, or my granddad did it, or great great, and you know, go on and on and on, it's, it doesn't make it okay now and and one other thing I'd like to add is I heard your interview with John Bush on uh, his radio show a couple 3 weeks ago and I I could hear you interjecting so politely your your daughter would uh, she a 3 year old and come up to you and say daddy this I don't know what she's saying but and I I I I, I, I loved your interaction with her on, sweetie you, you 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 paused you didn't give a crap who was listening who was what people the audience would think you there for your daughter, and I, just, I would personally, as a father of would like to thank you for doing such a thing. Uh, that, meant, uh, that meant a whole lot to me uh, that you would take that time, even during a radio broadcast, to, you know, to be the same person that you are that you talk about as you are while you're on the radio. Hang on, baby. I'll be right back.
1: Yeah, yeah well, I appreciate that. that Look, I, first of all, I, I just really, really want to compliment ahead. you on um, what you did with your kids, like in terms of uh, uh, apologizing and so on. We, we all make mistakes as parents, as husbands, as people. And I, I really just massively respect you for that, for, for what it's worth. I mean, you don't obviously you don't live for my respect, but I just wanted to pass along. That's an incredibly brave and wise thing to do. I've never done a show with her before. Um, it just it came about that this is sort of what what happened. And uh, actually, she was she wasn't even interrupting me. She was trying to help me with my show. Uh, she's completely fascinated. I don't know how to explain this in a way that makes <laughs> makes her not sound creepy. She's completely fascinated by diseases. Uh, she, she wants to know all about injections and diseases. And, and uh, I don't know if she, she says she wants to be a doctor, but she also wants to be a gymnastic teacher. And she also wants to be a lifeguard and all these kinds of things. But uh, and, and what happened was I mentioned something about people being overweight and so on. And she was very, very insistent that, uh, and quietly so, but she was very insistent that I tell everyone about the dangers of diabetes and how you have to end up having an injection every day and it can also hour your eyes Uh, so uh, she just really wanted to make sure I got that information across to the listening audience and so uh, she was very keen on on that uh, but I didn't really want to take the show in that direction but uh, I appreciate that Uh, that's very very kind and and I really uh, hugely respect what you did with your own kids and and it sounds like they're very lucky.
0: Yeah, I I don't have any children, so I, I really don't have a, a a dog in the fight here. I guess is how they say in Texas. I don't know what they say. <laughs> I don't have a dog in the fight, but I think it's I, a, know, I Canada,
1: a It's a, a condom in the igloo. I don't know why, but uh, just if you I don't want to interrupt you too. In much. the
0: igloo, there's no igloos in Texas. There are none igloos in Texas. <laughs> uh, Stefan, what, what what are you doing in the next couple of weeks? You you want to plug anything?
1: What am I doing in the next... Well, I, I will be speaking in Belize. Uh, I hope that uh, people will um, check that out. They can get the link on my uh, website. That's in March. Uh, next couple of weeks, while I'm working away on, on this documentary. Baby, this, the documentary is my major beast of consumption at the moment. Uh, we've got a couple of animators, some serious musical talent, and you know uh, we're just grinding our way through putting the provocative and hopefully intelligent images to the text, and it's called... Uh, modestly, it's called Truth, <laughs> the free-domain radio documentary. True. And uh, so really, it's it's designed to be a Matrix Unplug movie, which hopefully will do for libertarianism what Zeitgeist did for Marxist robots and uh, uh, give, give people a, a way of getting into our way of thinking or hopefully just thinking. Uh, about what's wrong with the world, looking at it from a moral standpoint, from first principles, making the case as to why things are going to hell in a handbasket, not because of a particular precedent or a particular policy or a particular law, uh, but really the violation of the non-aggression principle and property rights is what's sailing us off a cliff so that we don't end up doing this the louise style fireball down in the canyon, uh, you know, things that need to happen to, to change stuff. So uh, that's been my major project this year and uh, hopefully going to get it done in Q1 of, uh, of next year.
0: I think that's fantastic. And, and since I've got you here, and I'm not going to hold you forever, I promise, but since oh, I do have you here, <laughs> I'm going to ask you a final style question, which is, uh, who are your favorite philosophers, and how do you see their philosophies playing out in the future?
1: Well, I mean, it, it all does start with Socrates. That the Socratic method is, you know, that sort of um, oh, uh, so you know what justice is. Um, can you give me an example? Oh, that's an example of what justice is. Well, that principle would also apply to this. Is this also an example of justice? No, it's not. So that's sort of combing back and forth to try and figure out what, how, how you kind of drill down on a concept to to make to make it consistent, to make it rational, to make it universal. I mean, that's that's the best. Um, uh, Plato, I find creepy, skin-crawly, nasty, uh, just horrible all around. Uh, although, of course, he had respect for women, which was pretty rare in ancient Rome. Aristotle's uh, ethics are, you know, a trumpet call of sounds good, feels good, but doesn't really add up to much, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, his, um, his metaphysics and epistemology was great. Uh, his defense of slavery and attacks on the rights of women was not so edifying. Um, I don't find much use for the Romans because they were all so pompous and so focused upon the empire uh, and politics and winning the hearts and minds of an empty-headed mass that it was really kind. Skip over most of the uh, theologians of the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages, uh, although St. Augustine did have some interesting moral arguments. Um, But uh, I I was certainly influenced by by Nietzsche, uh, more for his provocative style of thought right he's not really a philosopher he's an aphorist really so he doesn't really work from first principles but he just keeps pounding you from every direction uh, and messing up your preconceptions to the point where it's like cracking a giant glowing ball uh, covered in in sort of cra- in in cooled off lava it, it exposes the white light underneath to have these chips and cracks from Nietzsche coming in from every direction uh, but i mean for me the the big one was uh, ayn Rand she she was the um uh, she was the real thunderbolt that brought philosophy to life for me, uh, in a very real and, and powerful way. And so uh, I spent 20 years, you know, studying her and thinking about her along with the associated lum- luminaries that, that were around. Uh, I got into psychology through Nathaniel Brandon and, um, read a lot of the, the sort of Hayekians and all that kind of stuff and, um, didn't know anything really about Rothbard or Mises until a few short years ago. But, um, Uh, So those would be very, very quick sort of stuff. But I've actually been influenced in in many ways more by artists than by philosophers and by historians, uh, in a sense, even more than artists. Paul Johnson is a great historian who's written a fantastic history of the 20th century and a great book called Intellectuals, which basically has the thesis that the intellectuals of the 20th century sought to displace the priests as the arbiters of social ethics. Uh, This is a Christopher Hitchens-style approach, you know, his his irony in art and men of letters and so on, that we can create a kind of secular morality that uh, obviously displaces that of priesthood. And he examined all of these 20th-century intellectuals, and the lives that they lived were just unrelentingly chaotic and generally immoral. Uh, And uh, so he did Shelley and uh, Hemingway, uh, and um, Bertolt Brecht and, and other writers and thinkers and so on, and just monstrous, most of them. And that sort of gave me a great deal of skepticism about the modern secular uh, ethical solutions that that were being put forward in the world. And so, yeah, sort of a, a um, combination of all of these and a, a, a good philosophy proffer or two throughout my college days. Uh, put that together, strike it with lightning and boredom with the business world, and <laughs> you have. I guess, uh, what ends up being the biggest philosophy show around, which is free debate radio. And so, yeah, all of these influences came together. I know that's a real sprint through, uh, a very rapid uh, series of impressions, but, um, uh, I, I've really tried to, sure, to cast wh- aside as much as possible and really work from first principles.
0: Where do you think we're going as a species? Like, wh- how do you think the most moral way to freedom is? What's, I know you wrote a book called uh, Universally Preferential Behavior, which we boosted on the show earlier tonight. But, uh Could you, you the know, the right it's,
1: it's Universally Preferred the... Behavior.
0: Preferred as opposed to preferential? Okay. Yeah, if you I don't apologize. mind, just in
1: case people ended up Googling it. No, no, no. <laughs> no
0: of course. U- universally Preferred Behavior uh, by Stefan um, Universally Monty, Preferable on Behavior.
1: Oh, Jesus, I'm <laughs> sorry, never going to so it right No problem. It's, it's <laughs> tricky. Universally preferable behavior, a rational proof of secular ethics. But let me let me answer the first part of your question as briefly as I can. I personally don't like the idea of sort of where are we going because that would indicate that we're on some kind of train track. You know, like you can say, where is this train track going? <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, where is this train going? Well, it's going to Exeter or whatever it is, Right. But when you're driving a car, if I turn to you and I say, where's this car going? <laughs> that wouldn't really make any sense. Well, where do you want to go? Where are you going to push the gas and, and turn the wheels in? And that to me is, you know, where's society going? Well, frankly, it's going wherever the most damn well dedicated, passionate, intelligent, and committed people say it's going. That's where society is going. It's where people like us damn well say that it's going because the majority of people are just like helium balloons in a windstorm. They will just minimize effort, maximize input. Uh, I'm sorry, they'll minimize uh, expenditures of effort and maximize uh, input of resources and just go along with the flow, take the path of least resistance, whatever that happens to be. So, the most, people who are the most committed will always determine where society goes. And of course, there are people who are committed on the imperial side and there are people who are committed on the rebel side and you know uh those stormtroopers all kind of look the same to me but they certainly want to keep their paycheck and so where society is going is where we choose for it to go um you know people who are more consistent will generally generally win in the long run people who are more passionate and committed who don't back down who continue to fight the good fight we win so you know where society going wherever we hit the gas and turn the wheel to
2: so in the in the current state of affairs that we're in, are the states the most boisterous? Because they we keep voting and we want to quote, vote the bums out and re- not rewrite new laws. I mean we're and I, I don't mean to get off on a tear, but I'm 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 battling as an activist here in my local community the uh, the fascist uh, the oil company bullies who are essentially writing laws with through through the Texas legislature. And I actually worked in the oil field industry, and I'm actually speaking out and risk losing everything. My whole
0: does money win? I think is is really
2: what your ultimate point. Does money? Are, are those win. the most boisterous people, or are people like me, myself, as an activist, been not quite he, he, he more of a philosopher and you know take the political strategy? I'm more the ones getting out there, you know, filming the people, filming the people trespassing on lands in Garland, Texas. Uh, but you said the people that are the most boisterous are the ones. It seems to me like the ones that are winning are the fascists.
1: I, yeah, I didn't say boisterous. For me, it's um, it's it, changing the world is obviously a very long-term proposition. For me, philosophy is always like nutrition. Nutrition, of course, is all about prevention, right? Like if you feel, I don't know what the symptoms are, your chest goes numb, your arm starts to hurt and <laughs> your heart starts stopping right you are having a heart attack or something you don't call up a nutritionist right because the nutritionist is going to say well maybe you should have changed your diet 10 years ago but right now you need to call the hospital and so in the short run it's all about the powers that be and and the, the influence that they have and the violence that they're willing to muster on behalf of whatever cause they're pretending is virtuous so in the short run the muscularity of political power always wins Of course, right, because the cost-benefit analysis for most people means to just go with the flow. But it is philosophy and ideas which shape society in the long run. Uh, I don't believe that there's any short-term solution to the expansion of state power. We need to look at an intergenerational change. We need to look at a multi-generational change. I mean, I take this from my own experience, 30 years of, of working in this field for the most part, and also just from history. you know, Abolition of slavery took about 150 years. Uh, getting equal rights for women took about 150 years. I mean, I think we can accelerate that to some degree because we have the internet, but of course so do the bad guys. But um, it is a multi-generational change. We have to encourage people to be peaceful towards their children because that is what they can do. And And I don't just mean that those of us who don't have children can't do anything. I mean, we can intervene. If we see something happening, we can report, we can encourage, we can, you know, communicate about these things. If we raise a generation of children without threatening them, they will actually have the intelligence to process libertarian arguments. See libertarian arguments take a high level of intelligence to process. And unfortunately, too many people are traumatized as children to the point where they cannot process rational arguments. This is not my opinion. This is fairly well documented scientifically, that most people have an emotionally volatile reaction to an idea, and only then afterwards do they make up some reason as to why it has to be false, which is why we get all this nonsense about what about the roads and, you know, what about these crazy, ridiculous lifeboat scenarios. It's because people find our arguments emotionally frightening and they lack the self-knowledge, the awareness and the maturity to intercept their own emotional impulses, to examine them and to think rationally. They're just bouncing like pinballs off their emotional defenses. We need to raise a generation of children who is smart enough and, and not traumatized so that they can accept basic reason and evidence. It's far too rare in the population at the moment, and we can't win over the population as a whole with people who are so blinded. We really are like trying to gather a bunch of blind people to win an archery contest. It's ridiculous. We need to raise a, children, a generation of children whose eyes aren't being put out so that we can win this archery contest, but right now the level of intelligence and commitment it takes is so rare relative to the capacities of the general population that we need to breed people who are worthy of our ideas and able to accept them without freaking out.
0: And I think that's exactly the answer. you got to raise your kids to believe in the non-aggression principle in order to live in a society that has the non-aggression principle. Stefan Molyneux, I'd like to thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Uh, it's been just an absolute pleasure, and I, I tell you what, if I end up coming coming after you as far as being like a WWE <laughs> wrestling heel uh, you know I hope Seriously. you take it in the spirit that it's meant. It's uh, oh listen it's I, I, I appreciate that
1: enough. I just I really want to warn you ahead of time that because I've never started, studied martial arts I'm a real biter uh, so I'm just going to let you know that ahead of time uh, that there's no well, clean I'm- fight on this side of the parallel <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's fine because I'm a squealer and uh, I tell you what, Caleb, it's been a it's been a fun show tonight. Stephon, uh, thank you
2: so much for calling in. We're just out of flat out of time. I could we could go on for hours on this, but hopefully we'll have you back on again. Uh, that's that has been Stefan Molyneux. You can check out his work at freedomainradio.com. This is Caleb Leverett of the Caleb Leverett Radio Show on libertymovementradio.com. Thank you so much. We'll see y'all next week on Monday. Peace out. I'm out, homie.